0: The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I think the religious life, the spiritual life, has to be led somewhere in between fear and complacency. If you talk to a lot of older Catholics, they will complain that in some ways their spiritual life was dominated by fear fear of God, the fear of committing sin, the fear of being sent to hell. I think the pendulum, though, has swung in the other direction. I think a problem with younger Catholics is the other one, that their spiritual lives become a little bit too complacent. Oh, who cares? God is love. God is compassion. No matter what I do, everything will work out fine. Questions of salvation, of judgment, God's anger, those are pretty much bracketed. Well, what do we do with this, we have to avoid the two extremes, fear and complacency. Look, if you're a baseball player, you're standing at home plate. If you're afraid, you're terrified. Unless I get a hit, the team will go under. Unless I get a hit, the coach will cut me from the team. If you're living in constant fear, you'll be a lousy hitter. By the same token, if you're at the plate and you have no sense of excitement and focus, you're not keyed up at all, you haven't practiced, well, you'll also be a lousy hitter. The good hitters live in between fear and complacency. Some of the seminarians here at Mundelein, where I teach, will get up for their first homily, their practice homily. When they're petrified, they're terrified. Well, that makes for a lousy homily. On the other hand, if a priest gets up and he hasn't prepared, he hasn't thought, he hasn't focused, And he gives a homily in utter complacency that too will be a less than satisfying performance i think this gives us a clue to the language the bible uses some people will say look there's all kinds of tough language in the bible god's demand god's anger we see in this wonderful passage from luke's gospel People speak to Jesus about the tower in Siloam that fell on 18 people and killed them. And Jesus says to them, Unless you repent, you will perish the same way they did. And then he tells that really terrible parable of the fig tree. Here's a fig tree that's not producing fruit. So the man says, Well, let's cut it down. Let's just take it up ground. And then the gardener says, Well, now wait, let me just. Spend one more year, and I'll I'll hoe around it, and I'll try to attend to it. And the owner says, okay, one more year, and if it's not productive after one more year, we cut it down. Well, that's a harsh story, the story of God's demand. Unless we are producing fruit in the spiritual life, God threatens to cut us down. Now, on the other hand, in the Scripture, there's all kinds of language of God's compassion, God's gentleness, God's kindness... You know, could a mother forget her child? Even if she forgets, I'll never forget you. I've carved you on the palm of my hand. Well, how can both these be true? Good parents know how both can be true. Parents, too, want to move their children into that space between fear and complacency. If a child is afraid of his parents, he's not going to develop, not going to grow and mature. By the same token, if a child is simply complacent, he or she could care less. So a parent trying to move a child into that space will sometimes speak the gentle and encouraging language. And other times will speak very strong and very harsh language. You know what comes to mind here, too, and it's another sports analogy. Years ago on national TV, the Bears were on and the bears were losing and Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback at the time and he had just uh, run through a series of very mediocre plays he came off the field and the camera caught him now as Mike Ditka the bears coach met him and ditka blew up and he threw his his clipboard on the ground and he knocked him on the back and then he yelled at him and he sent him back in well that's what a good coach does when he feels a team needs to be awakened from its complacency. And you see that in all the great coaches, you know, Vince Lombardi and all the other ones. They knew when to be gentle. They knew when to be severe. So our God in the scripture is sometimes gentle, sometimes severe, trying to move his people into right relationship. A very good example of this can be found in the book of Exodus. That wonderful story of Moses and the burning bush. We see both dynamics God trying to move his child into right relationship with him. Let's look at a couple details. Moses sees the burning bush, this amazing sight. And then he hears this gentle call Moses, Moses, we have a God. Christians, who calls us by name. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about so many of the spiritualities today that emphasize our quest for God, as though God is just sort of dumbly out there as a mountain waiting for us to climb. That's not a biblical idea at all. Rather, God goes after us, seeks us out, calls us by name. So Moses is summoned over. Then, as he approaches the burning bush, God says, stop, stop, stop. Take off your shoes, for you are on holy ground. Come no nearer. First, the language of gentleness and invitation, and then some strong language. Moses, you are not in charge of this relationship. I am. It's not your will that matters, it's mine. Not your desires, my desires. Friends, our God is always in command of the relationship. The minute we say, I will have God on my terms, I will have God answering my questions, responding to my needs, then we have to hear that somewhat harsh voice, come no nearer, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. There's that wonderful rhythm again between gentleness and severity. Then what do we hear? I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I have heard the cry of my people in Egypt. Our God is not a distant principle, uninvolved, uncaring. Rather, we have a God who is compassionate, who enters into our experience, enters into our suffering and knows it. Indeed, knows it more intensely than we know it ourselves. We have a God who wants to liberate us. That's a wonderful way in the whole Bible to name God. Whatever holds us bound, Physical problems, psychological problems, economic and social, political problems, whatever it is that keeps us from being fully alive, that's what God hates. And so God wants to set us free in his compassionate love. Again, Christians, here's that language of intimacy. I know you and I know your people. I know their suffering and I want to do something about it. Then Moses says to God, Now, when I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, if they ask me, What's his name? What am I to tell them? Well, on the surface, it's a pretty reasonable question, isn't it? Which God are you? There are a lot of gods. So in Moses' time, there were all kinds of gods. The Egyptians had their gods, the Canaanites had gods, there were gods of the desert, gods of the mountain. So when he hears this voice, he asks reasonably enough, which one are you? But God has none of that question. His famous answer, I am who I am. One way to look at that answer is simply this, stop asking me such stupid questions. I'm not one God among many. I'm not a particular God, but rather I am being itself. Not a God of this place or that place, not a God of this person or that person, but I am the God who reigns over the whole of the cosmos. Moses, you don't control me. Don't think that by your questions and your ideas, you can get a mastery over me. Again, here's that more severe language. Moses, I'm in control of this relationship, not you. But to keep pushing that even a little further, the God whose name is I am who I am, that is not a God who can be avoided. What does God touch? Everything. What is God the cause and source and ground of? Everything. Can I say, now here's my personal life, here's my professional life, here's my family life, here's my recreational life, and now here's my religious life? No. We could say that if God were simply a particular being. But when God says, I am who I am, he means, I have to do with absolutely everything in the cosmos and in your life. What's the source and ground of your family life? God. What's the source and ground of your professional life? God. What's the source and ground of your recreational life, everything you do? God. In other words, he wants to be the Lord of everything in your life, in my life. That's the importance and the power of I am who I am god's lordship over everything and over this relationship and then finally what does god do god sends moses no one in the bible ever gets a vision of god without being sent whether it's isaiah or jeremiah whether the disciples of jesus or paul anyone who encounters god is sent listen christians God wants us participating in his work. What's his work? Liberating the world. Who are his accomplices? All of us. God draws us into intimacy with himself that we might then be sent and to do the work of God and to bear his power to a world that is enslaved. What a wonderful privilege look there's the intimacy what a wonderful privilege that we've been drawn into this closeness with God and at the same time what a demand Christians can we say no to this invitation the sobering answer of the Bible is yes we can does that make a difference yes it makes a difference you see Complacency has no role in the spiritual life. Fear is one extreme, yes, but the other is complacency. If I say, well, anything goes, whether I say yes or no, whether I cooperate or not, it doesn't make any difference. That is not biblical spirituality. Moses could have said no, and look what would have happened if he had. So, every one of us has been given a mission by the demanding God. The call, not in fear, but in ardent discipleship, is to say yes to that call. Don't be afraid, but don't be complacent at the same time. That, I think, is the heart of the Christian message. Now, friends, I've been on the air for the past, oh, about three months, so I've been talking to you quite a bit. I'm also eager to hear from you. If you have questions, concerns, insights, different perspectives, write to me. Father Robert Barron at Mundelein Seminary, Mundelein, Illinois, 60060. Mundelein Seminary, Mundelein, Illinois, 60060. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.